0: Before we share in the word and our message, uh, let's have a prayer time and uh, specifically to pray for Susanna and Rebecca as they travel uh, east to Maryland. I think it'll be over the next couple of weeks that they're going. And uh, uh, so I put it in route to Maryland and I think they're spending a, a week in Wisconsin along the way. So uh, let's, uh, their wedding yesterday, uh, I, I put it here praying for them, husband and wife. <laughs> would you join me in prayer, please? Lord, we bring Susanna and Rebecca to you and ask, Lord, that you would bless them in their travels, keep them safe. We ask, Lord, that you will be with them at every turn. Not now, just now, but, but for, for the entirety of their lives together. And we ask, Lord, that you would just, uh, uh, be with them, prosper them, bless them. And we already miss Rebecca, but we rejoice and celebrate with her and Sassan and their new relationship, husband and wife. Be with them. Bless them. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our message is from the book of Job. And uh, you're going to be starting that, I think, this week. uh, Maybe towards the end of the week. You you haven't started reading it yet, right? You have? Okay. Uh, I wasn't sure quite where it was in the list. Um, But... uh, the uh, I, I've got one opportunity to present to you something about Job. <laughs> We've only gonna give one we're only giving one Sunday to it. And uh I was thinking, how in the world am I gonna present the book of Job, forty-two chapters? <laughs> you know me, I mean I have a rough time getting through four verses in a service. And so uh what I'd like to do is to present to you an overview, and we'll do some reading along the way as well. Um, the timing of the writing of Job is debated uh, as to when he lived. There's some that say because of the fact that the book of Job is part of the wisdom literature—Proverbs, uh, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and, and stuff—that it, it, and it's poetic in its style, that it might be not an actual event. You know, it just it's a story. Yeah. Scripture, I do not believe, lends itself to that. And, and, and James even speaks of, of Job in chapter 5 about the steadfastness of Job. And I don't think he would refer to that unless it was something that was literal that had happened. And so I believe Job was... This account here in the, in the, in the Bible is a real live well, and an actual story as to, again, the actual time of, of Job's life. There's a lot of debate about that. But I contend uh, uh, or join those who think that he was probably a contemporary of of Abraham in, in some way, either just before or during. Uh, you know, Job lived to be uh, over 200 years old. And so there was that era of time just before Abraham that there was still the longevity. And so uh I feel it fits into that category. The story of Job I've heard I've heard some people say see Job as as, as a depressing book. I can understand that conclusion with what happens and we'll be looking at that this morning. But I find it an absolutely amazing story of victory. And uh, so let's look at this together. Uh, I'm just, like I said, I'm, I'm going to present, at least for a moment, an overview. But let's look at chapter one. And we're going to read through with that. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, I have to start stop right there for the moment. (laughs) Blameless and upright. That does not mean that he was sinless. No one, no man is without sin. So keep that in the back of your head but he was a blameless and upright man one who feared God that's why he was blameless and upright he feared God he knew uh, of God and he, and he 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 worshiped him and he turned away from evil that was uh, the thing that he strived to do uh, and and that is so uncommon today you know we 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 we've kind of Gone down the, the 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 freeway and created a middle lane. There's the what's really evil and there's what's really holy and then there's eh this is acceptable and it's kind of a mixture. It's kind of a gray area. And I remember uh, a student of mine uh, back in, in gosh <laughs> a number of years ago now and 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 we were going through our Bible class and uh, he says he says. Well, that's kind of like the gray area, right? It's not really bad and it's not really, and, 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 and another student spoke up and he says, God didn't make any gray area. And I thought, whoa, that's pretty observant for somebody who's in seventh grade. You know, I, I was pretty pleased that he'd come up with that. And that's the reality. We, we tend to compromise. What it's saying is that Job wasn't a man who, Job was not a man who tended to compromise. He saw evil and he turned his back on it. He saw the holiness and the awesomeness of God and he went towards it. So keep that in your mind. This is what an upright man, uh, blameless and upright, would be. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen. In other words, a thousand oxen and five hundred female donkeys. It doesn't say how many male donkeys. And very many servants so that his this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. did continually. So now we see Job as the priest, in a sense, of his family, offering, physically offering. And the reason why I note that is because that would be mean it, that all this had to take place before the law of Moses. And and because he was actually making the offerings, the, and stuff. So it, with that in mind, uh, this is the, the the Job is in love with his family. Uh, he's he's a wealthy man. God has blessed him clearly. But then we get into chapter uh, chapter one verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came to be among them. The Lord said to Satan, "From where have you come?" And Satan answered the Lord and said, "From going to and fro on the earth." from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, "Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your hand, only uh, 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 behold all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, I want you to learn something from this opening. Is there a real Satan? Yes. Do, what do we know about him? Well, when we get through Isaiah and a few other places and then in, uh, in the New Testament and then in, in, into the Revelation, we find that he is a fallen angel... And that his purpose in his existence is to try to lead God's people away or keep people from God in the first place. But he he is there. He tries to hinder our lives so that even though we might not turn away from God, we might not be an effective witness. Who wants to be persecuted? You know, this type of thing. And yet, it's what's amazing is the persecuted church in fact we have been amazed through the, the, the this last uh, hundred years as we've been able to really get into mission areas of how well the church has thrived in areas that we didn't even know that it was there because it was persecuted and that what made them all the more realized because Jesus said if you follow after me people are not going to be uh, and like you they're going to come against you just as they came against me persecution is part of the fallen world and so what job is is doing is is just showing us the book of job is showing us what it looks like and and here satan is going to attack job but he can't do it without god's allowance This is hard for us. I don't know. I shouldn't say it's hard for us. It's hard for me to look at that and say, well, God allows bad things to happen. But I see it very clearly. He is subordinate to God. He can't do anything without God's allowance. He does nothing in this world except by God's permissive will. God says you may attack the family and the possessions of of Job. And Satan does. He wipes out his wealth. He wipes out his children. And Job is left without these things now. He doesn't charge God with anything wrong. He doesn't say anything against God in all of this. And so in chapter 2, he is allowed now to attack Job's health. And he puts Job into a position where he's from head to foot covered with sores. His only only comfort is to scream is to scrape the sores with a, with a, a, a dry shard or a pot, pot shard. And uh, you can't, I can't imagine the suffering that he's going through. And yet it says, in all this Job did not sin with his lips. So Job's family, his possessions, his wealth, and his health were wiped out and Satan still could not prevail. Now, at this point, we know the story. I'm not going to go into reading the whole thing, but we know the story. There was three friends of Job's. <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah, all right. I, I believe initially they were his friends. They were people that knew him well. He probably had done business with them, whatever. And and it's Elfas, Bildad, and Zophar. And they saw his suffering, and they saw how great it was. And they went and sat with him for seven days without in silence, which was a thing of mourning with him. That that is a friend would sit with you for seven days and mourn with you. At the end of that point, chapter 3, where it starts out, Job basically, I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase the, chapter 3, he cries out, I wished I hadn't been born. A number of things that go with that, but just the idea, I wished I'd died at birth. And... Uh, Speaking in turn, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they informed Job that the only reason he could possibly be, and you have to read through a number of chapters to get all of this together, the only reason he could be in this calamity was that there was hidden sin in his life that he wasn't confessing. Now I look at this and think, wouldn't God have told us this? I mean, He wouldn't have called him an upright, blameless, or righteous man. He, you know, but they're they're saying this calamity, this this tragedies that have come upon you, are the result of your hidden sin, Job. Confess, confess. Job's position is, I'm innocent. As you go through these chapters, you'll see he makes it very clear. I'm innocent. If only I could plead my case before the Lord, I would, I, I, I would be able to show you. And, and he's basically taking the position, and maybe this has happened to you. It's happened to me since I've been a Christian. There's been a couple of times where I've said, Lord, why is this happening? And not necessarily something to me. Maybe it's something to, to someone who I love dearly or, or maybe somebody within our framework of our family here in Christ. You know, why is this happening? And I thought of, of different people that I've come across over the years that have served the Lord so faithfully and then they, they've, they come up with cancer at the end of their life and, and, and die a painful death. And I say, Lord, why? Now, is, is the Lord angry with me for that, that question? No. I'm not, I haven't walked away from it. It's just like Job, it says, Job didn't sin with his lips. It, but, it, but it's a natural part of living in a fallen world that these things happen. And they happen to the good and to the bad. But I tell you what, it's so frustrating sometimes to see a really bad person flourish when you see a really good person suffer. I don't know. I just, that's, I'm being honest with you. But he took the position, I am innocent. If only I could plead my case before God. And you go through multiple chapters now of back and forth. Uh, the the, uh, the different people too, and, and Elihu comes in at, at, at one point, and, and towards the end of this as another person, and 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 if, if anything, he gives a little bit of encouragement to to Job, but he, he's not as 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 fixed as, as Zophar and and uh, Bildad and, and 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 so he's you know he's a little more in helpful, but Job never changes his position. I am innocent if I could only plead my case before God. Now, what he's saying is, and, and there is an undertow here. God owes me an explanation. There is an undertow here. You've got to pick up on this. It's important. There are times where we say, I don't get it, Lord, and I don't understand, explain it to me, Lord. Give me an answer. For some people, this can become a real stumbling block. And I think to Job, it was becoming that. towards the end of the book God Speaks. Chapter 38. The Lord answers Job. By the way, one thing that Job's not going to get out of any of this is why. He never gets that answer. Instead, Look at uh, verse 4 of chapter 38. God is speaking to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Well, Job has no understanding of of how it happened, other than what the Word might say. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Who measured it out? On what were its bases sunk? In other words, how does it hold together? What's its foundation stones? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars, the angels, sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, in other words, were you basically, were you there at the beginning of all this when I put it together? Can you explain how this all works? Who are you, and it's basically kind of being implied here, who are you to question me? He goes on and, and, and talks all about creation all through these next few chapters. He talks about the behemoth and he talks about Leviathan and and, and and these huge animals that he created. And he's basically saying, I like the one picture here, can you draw out Leviathan with a fishhook? That's the best you've got. Can you can you get this huge sea creature, Leviathan, with a fishhook? No. No. I've created something that's beyond you and your abilities to, to manage and to cope with. Where were you? I think the, 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 the summary of this was, where were you when, when, uh, at the time of creation and when I put all these things together? In other words, who are you to demand of me an answer? Now, that sounds kind of harsh, but you've got to understand God doesn't owe us an answer. God doesn't owe us anything. In fact, we come back to this question I frequently put out for you, do you want what you deserve? That includes Job, folks. We all have sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we all deserve the judgment of God on sin. And the wages of sin is death. So Job, even in his breathing, was being blessed by God. Everyone, every breath we take is a blessing from God. Job's response to this is awesome. Look at chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord, and he said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, your will will be accomplished. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. There would have been no need for him to repent if his attitude had not been tainted with sin. What he's basically saying here is, the Lord, you know well, everything that, that needs to be and all I, am, all I need to do is to speak what you let me speak and, and share what you let me see. I have never seen what I see now after you've shared with me the awesomeness of who you are. And I repent, I ask. Forgiveness is what it means. I repent. And he did so in the typical way of that time in dust and ashes, throwing the dust and the ashes over himself and and causing himself to to sit and quietly repent and meditate. Now, the Lord, we see very clearly, said after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I always I look at that and the first thing in my mind says termite <laughs> I don't uh, but Eliphaz the Temanite my, my anger burns against you and against your two friends for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves and my servant Job shall pray for you. He's humbling them big time here. My servant Joel shall pray for you for I will accept his prayer. That's pretty specific here in, in the sense of he says you can make your offerings but I'm going to only accept Job's prayer not to deal with you according to your folly for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has so Eliphaz and, and uh, the, the Temanite and Bildad and, and, and Zophar went and did what the Lord had told them and the Lord accepted Job's prayer by the way what does that tell you that Job did with them it's underlying here he forgave them Very important that you see that. Now, the last few verses uh, you're familiar with. The conclusion is is that that God restores what Job had lost. And within the framework of that, uh, it says after Job had lived 140 years, the very last two verses of of, of the book of Job. After Job had lived 140 years, he was 70 when all of this apparently was, uh, it was believed. He was around that age, so 210 years. And he saw his sons and his sons' sons for generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. And to be phrased as that, died an old man full of days, means he died with blessed I need to point something out to you because this is really where I got fixed as I went through this. In the midst of Job's trials, in the midst of his his frustration and having to deal with uh, these three friends and their their insistence of his hidden sin and, and all that was going on there, in the midst of this, in chapter 19, there are three verses that are absolutely amazing. Now, he reveals an amazing confidence in God. He's been making the argument, Why me, Lord? Why is this all happening to me? And then he. Comes forth with these thoughts in the middle of this. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at, la- at, at the last he will stand upon the earth, or the dust on the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my
1: flesh
0: I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. In the midst of all these things, he grasps the hold of of, of a truth that he is sure of. That is, and and it, it's an amazing picture. Because it's speaking to us of of something... Well, let's go through it here. Verse 25... It says, I know. And he says, I know. This idea of I know means without question. I know. uh, He's so positive this. This word is, I know without question. I am absolutely sure about what I'm going to say for this moment. My Redeemer lives. Now, the word redeemer is the same one we dealt with in the book of Ruth with Boaz. The goal. The redeemer. The one who purchases back. By the way, he's a relative. Okay, that's, that's important to remember. He says, My. And notice the personalization of this. My. I have a Redeemer and He lives. At the last, in other words, at the end of time, He's going to stand upon the earth. That's a position of total authority implied. He's going to stand on the earth. He'll be in charge. He'll be in authority. And even though my skin is destroyed, now, what he's talking about is, is basically a dead body buried. It's important that you grasp a hold of this. A dead body buried. Decayed. It says, even though I've died and been buried and, and, and my, my flesh is in decay, yet in my flesh... And the word for flesh here is the idea of this kind of context of of bodily. Not in just some vague spirit. In my flesh, I shall see God. For what? Myself. Not another, not somebody who's going to tell me about seeing God. I'm going to see Him for myself. Even though I die and I'm buried, I know God is my Redeemer. There is a point where I will see Him face to face in the flesh. What's he speaking of? He's speaking of the resurrection. In the middle of all of this, he's speaking about something... That is, it hasn't even been really talked about, you know, other than vaguely. But he's making a picture of it. There's a lot of authors and commentators who say, no, that, that couldn't be because they, they hadn't got that far yet. You know, in a progressive revelation con- context. Ah, this is the groundwork for understanding. He is speaking something that he did not have, I don't believe, first-hand knowledge or teaching of. God's speaking through him. Is that possible? Oh yeah! God's Word is God-breathed. And He speaks of His death, His decay, and His bodily resurrection, and He will see God flesh for Himself. He won't have to depend on another's testimony about it. I will know that I know that I know. So, I know this. My Redeemer lives. And at the very end of time, He's going to stand on this earth and I'm going to, even though I'm dead and buried and decayed, I'm going to see Him in my flesh, implied, restored, myself, face to face is another way of looking at that. Not another. Not someone else's account. And then his, this phrase, I love it. My heart faint within me. It literally means I'm totally overwhelmed at this thought. I'm convinced that this is the first time he really got a chance to put this together and understand it. And he was just blown away. Does that mean he was done trying to figure out what happened to him? No. But he got a glimpse. He got a glimpse. This is all any of us have had. None of us have seen face to face. We've seen through a a mirror or or a veil dimly. But there is a time when we will see face to face. I wonder who is that? Uh, Paul, yeah. And and as a result, we will understand. and, And we will do it in the flesh. Bodily resurrection. Doesn't matter, you know, Paul made it very clear. Even those who have died will be resurrected and they'll be in the flesh. They'll see them too. All, we'll, all together we'll do this. When you think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means to you and, and to the body of Christ and to all who believe in Christ all through the centuries and ahead of us if, if, as, as long as the Lord tarries. Does it make your heart faint? It should. It should amaze you. I realized as I was going through this, it doesn't amaze me as much as I should allow it to. Meaning, I don't, I don't give it enough room. I, I, I'm so used to preaching it, so used to reading it, that I've gotten accustomed to it. And for whatever reason, this time God spoke to me and I'm, all of a sudden I'm amazed all over again about what God is going to do, what He is doing, what He has already done through Jesus Christ. The God of all creation. In the beginning, the Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why did He do that? For the purpose of redeeming us. He became one of us. Family of man. It literally says he, he, we are brothers and sisters in Christ and He calls us brothers and sisters. And he, He's our Redeemer. Kinsman Redeemer. And He redeems us through His own personal sacrifice. And the power of God revealed through the resurrection that will give us that assurance that God can do and deliver what He says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's a lot here, but I'm just going to read a few verses. Starting with verse fifty, I tell you this, brothers. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. I tell you this, brothers: flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. In other words, the flesh and blood, as we know it here, is doing what? Eh, there's there's spots and wrinkles and and. Uh, uh, I, I realize, based on the photographs of my brain, there's some decay going on. You know, uh, we're all in the process of, of of dying. The flesh is dying, but it but it must die to become the imperishable. Somebody says, "Well, what about those that are at the end? They're resurrected. That transformation will happen. Their flesh will die and become imperishable. I mean, it, 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 it's the process that must occur." And and so he says very clearly, he says, "The perishable can't. Does the perishable inherit the imperishable? Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed." O oh, death, where is your sting? In other words, you're lost. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. First, uh, uh, Second Corinthians, in in the fifth chapter, there's the phrase, "What is mortal is swallowed uh, up by what is immortal." In the sense, what is mortal, what is of the flesh, is swallowed up. There's a Keith Green song. In fact, we're going to sing it for communion. The title of it there is A, is a Redeemer. Uh, within the first two parts of it, it, it stands, as I guess you might say, Jesus, My Redeemer. you are actually going to say those words in a song. We're, we're joining Job. Jesus, My Redeemer. Name above all names, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, O for sinners slain, thank You, O My Father, for giving us Your Son. And leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done. Let's sing the song and then share in communion. We're using the communion packets this morning. So while we're singing, if you didn't pick one up from the table out there, feel free to, while we're singing, go get one. And uh, we'll share it together in just a moment. Couldn't have picked a better song. (laughs) In the Book of First Corinthians, again, this time in Chapter Eleven, Paul writes to them in reference to the Lord's Supper. Verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it, and He said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, "This cup is the new is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Let us share in the cup. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, we come and say thank You. We can use the phrase, Jesus, my Redeemer. The same assurance that Job had. My Redeemer. It is personal. It's done in a collective with the body of Christ and, and we can't survive without each other, and we need each other to, to, to encourage and build up and to strengthen. But Lord, it comes at that point of a personal confession Jesus, I am a sinner. I have fallen short. Lord, forgive me. I ask you to, to, to save me. And come to you and ask, Lord, that you take the place of my Redeemer in my life. And as you do, we come with that confidence. I think of even uh, even though that's not scripture that that thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done. We worship you and we praise you we thank you for your grace in Jesus name, amen. I have one more thing I want to do before we sing the solid rock uh, Rebecca sent these flowers back to us from the service, right? Okay. Uh, and she, this is, uh, she said, I want this bouquet to go to the scribers for 65 years of marriage. I'm going to pull it off to the side. I'm not going to take it back and make you hold it while you're sitting there. Yeah, it has some weight to it. <laughs> And if you need to pour the water out before you leave, no, no problem. But we want you to know that you are an inspiration to all of us of what it means to, to be together. And, and you know, you've been a blessing to me for so many years. And uh, we just want to say thank you for your example. Lord bless you. Let's stand as we close Jesus, the solid rock.
1: The ground is sinking sand. When darkness fell.
0: Thank you for being here this morning. Have a wonderful rest of the day.